Good morning. How's everybody doing? Let me pray for us one more time. We'll get started. Father, we do just thank you, um, Father, for the awesome privilege we have of coming together, uh, gathering with the saints to encourage one another, um, to uh, build one another up, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, dear God. Uh, Father, as um, this is a difficult subject, it's an emotional subject, Father, would you uh, be with me, uh, let me get out of the way, and let you speak through me, let me not give unnecessary offense, dear God, um, and Father, would you most of all be glorified by what's said, um, and be honored by our time here together, dear God. Um, thank you, dear God, for the grace that you pour out and you lavish on us, dear Lord. Uh, which is freely available to all, anyone that will come. And uh, so we just thank you again for this time, and uh, just pray that you're glorified. Amen. Okay, quick survey. Ooh, that's loud. Is that loud? That's either loud or I'm screaming. I don't mean to scream. Okay. Uh, quick survey. Show of hands. Uh, how many of you cringed when you either saw the subject of this message on the website, or you got your teaching insert. Remember, we're in church, so don't. Okay, only one? Stan is the only honest guy in this church. Okay, Julie is uh, another. So we have two honest people. So maybe I'll ditch this sermon, and I'll teach about honesty. No? Okay, all right, well, we'll go with it. Okay, um, you know, I understand that reaction, because this is an uncomfortable topic, Okay. It's an emotional topic. Um, it seems like we talk about it a lot. Um, and so I get that reaction. Um, but I believe it, it's important that we do talk about this subject, and we talk about it in an unemotional way, and we talk about it in a biblical way. Because this is the issue that's facing the church today. Okay, It's, it's a very complicated issue, and uh, there's lots of things that this touches. Um, so that's why we're talking about it. Uh, and the reason I'm talking about it this Sunday is who knows what happens on the 28th of April. Does anybody know what's going to happen on the 28th of April? Okay. On the 28th of April, the Supreme Court is going to hear a case coming out of the Appeals Court for the Sixth Circuit. The Sixth Circuit, uh, we're not in the Sixth Circuit, we're in the Tenth Circuit, but the Sixth Circuit is parts of Kentucky, Michigan, and Ohio. And last year, the Sixth Circuit was the only court in the nation. You know, let me start my timer here. I apologize, otherwise we'll go for... Hang on. So that was all free, by the way. Okay, there we go. Okay, so the Sixth Court, uh, there were several cases last year uh, where there were challenges to same-sex marriage laws. Okay, so states had passed a law uh, that said marriage was between one man and one woman. Those were challenged in court, and the Sixth Circuit was the only court, uh, circuit court that held that state legislatures had that right, had the right to define marriage between one man and one woman. So uh, the plaintiffs in that case lost the case. They appealed that to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court agreed to hear the case. And so that's why we're talking about that. So in nine days, um, the Supreme Court is going to hear that case. Um, 
Most people on both sides of this issue uh, believe that this is the case that the court is going to use to uh, find that there is a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. Okay, the actual legal things that are being argued are pretty arcane. It has to do with the 14th Amendment. Uh, I'm not going to get into that if you're, if you're really into that type of thing. There's plenty of websites that have detailed that pretty thoroughly. You can maybe talk to Kent. I don't know if he's aware. Yeah, he appreciates that. Um, okay, so we're not going to talk about that. But um, what that means is that in a couple of months, we'll get the decision in June, is we could be living in a nation where same-sex marriage is legal in all 50 states. Okay? And so that's why we're discussing this today, because I think we need, to, we need to talk about it and we need to think about it before that becomes a reality. Um, this is not going to be an exhaustive treatment of this subject. Uh, as I said, it's really complicated. We just don't have time uh, to talk about everything that this subject touches. Um, so I'm probably not going to say some things that you wish I had said. Uh, I'm not going to talk about business owners, what we should do, things like that. If you have questions or concerns or um, you don't agree with something I said, my email is on the bottom. You can email the church. Email me, call me, and uh, let's continue the conversation because uh, I think it's important that we have this conversation. All right, I want to clarify some terms. Um, for the most part, um, when I talk, I'm going to use the term same-sex marriage or homosexual marriage instead of the more culturally correct um, gay marriage. And I do that for a reason, because words have meaning, okay? Whether we want to say that they do or not, words have meaning. And I don't think uh, that the term gay marriage um, really gives you the impact of what it is that we're talking about redefining here. Okay, in the way that same-sex marriage or homosexual marriage does. When I talk about heterosexual, one-man, one-woman marriage, um, what I'm really talking about is I'll talk about natural marriage or biblical marriage. And again, for the same reasons. Because I believe that there's nothing wrong with the term traditional marriage, but it doesn't carry the same weight as natural marriage or biblical marriage. Okay, so let me put... a give us a little bit of context, a little bit of uh, historical perspective here. Um, the fight for same-sex marriage actually began in 1970. Uh, two men walked into the county clerk's office in Hennepin County, Minnesota, and requested a marriage license. They were turned away because they were both men. So in 1970, uh, same-sex marriage was illegal in all 50 states. In 2015, it's legal in 37 states. So in the space of 45 years, we've gone from same-sex marriage being completely illegal to on the verge of it being declared a constitutional right. Okay? I'll be 50 pretty soon. So within my lifetime, um, it, that's how fast this revolution has gone. Um, you know, the pace of this is just astounding, okay? Uh, normally it takes decades and decades for society to change uh, in the way that they do. And just, we're moving at 
way past warp speed on this. Okay, And so it's natural uh, that we would feel a little bit anxious about it. Um, and especially in case, in terms of the increasingly intolerant tone that some of the same-sex marriage uh, forces are taking. Um, I don't know, maybe you were vacationing on Mars and you missed the whole Indiana thing. Uh, okay, does everybody know what I'm talking about? We won't go there. All right, we're not going to go there. Um, but, you know, so it's natural to feel a little bit of anxiety. But what I want to focus on is this is probably going to be a reality. It's probably better than 95% that this is going to be a reality. And so what do we do? What do we do in June? We wake up the next day and this is a reality. Okay? Um, I want to suggest a couple of things that we should not do. And then I want to give us three things that I think we should do. And you guys breathe. You're so serious. It's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You guys, one of these days I'm going to wear a GoPro so you can see what you look like because you guys are just really, you're, you're scaring me. Okay. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. Okay. The first thing that we should not do is we should not panic. Okay. Uh, when our daughter, uh, Caitlin, uh, we also have a Caitlin. Uh, when she was about eight or nine years old, we used to have this little funny saying that we would, would say. and uh, It would go, when in trouble, when in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. And then we'd go, ah! You know? Okay, so the, ho- the whole idea was, when you don't know what's happening, just panic and run around and things will be better. Okay? Um, well, you know, we laugh about that. But, but isn't that how we act sometimes as Christians? Um, we have a setback or or the culture does something, or um, something goes on, and we run around like Chicken Little, um, and the sky is falling, the civilization is crumbling, and it's the end of the world. Um, Now, again, I don't want to minimize the cultural impact that legalizing same-sex marriage is going to have. Okay, Uh, There are social science studies that this is bad for children, uh, we can see the thing in Indiana that it's bad for religious liberty. Um, it's bad for people that are involved in it. So th- this is a seismic shift. And I think that it's going to negatively affect almost every aspect of society. Okay, But as big of a deal as that is, there's no reason to panic. There's no reason to be anxious. And one of the reasons we don't need to panic is because we can trust in God's providence. Now, providence, somebody's been reading their Puritans. Um, Now, providence, it's not a word we use very often anymore, but it's a great Puritan word, and it means that God is sovereign over his creation. Okay? And so this is what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. God, the creator of all things, upholds, directs, disposes and governs all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least. He exercises this most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Okay, that's a lot. We could, we could talk about this for a couple of hours at least, but we're not going to. I just want to highlight a couple of things that it says about God. Um, 
The first is that God is an active agent in the affairs of the world. Okay? So God is, is an active agent. He's not reacting. He's not scrambling to find plan B. Um, God isn't going to wake up in June and find that the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage and be surprised by that. Okay? That's just not going to happen. That's not an accurate picture of God. Um, we can see this from the Scripture. Okay? In Acts 2.23, uh, Peter's getting ready to give his sermon. It's the day of Pentecost. He uh, is, has come down. Everybody is gathered, and he stands up, and he gives probably one of the greatest recorded sermons ever. Um, 5,000 people are getting ready to get added to the church. So huge day in the life of the church. And this is what Peter says. He says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Okay, so the crucifixion of Christ was according to um, the definite plan. Okay, uh, to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay, so think about everything that had to happen for that event, for the crucifixion to happen, when it did and where it did. Okay, so God raised up the Roman army. Uh, the Roman Empire. They took over the entire known world at the time. They instituted the Pax Romana so that there were roads and there was a common language. Um, they took over this little backwater place in the Middle East called Palestine. Um, God made sure that Pontius Pilate, uh, the person that was going to condemn Jesus, was, uh, was born, that he got posted to Palestine. I mean, all those things, okay? Down to the minutest detail God planned, it was part of his plan and his foreknowledge, so that on that day, they could crucify this Jewish rabbi so that our sins could be forgiven. Okay? God's not reacting to things. All right? God is planning and active in the affairs of the world. So what that means in our context is um, that if and when homosexual marriage becomes legal, it will do so because it's the plan of God for it to do so. Okay? Um, now, I know that's a, that's a hard subject for a lot of us to, uh, to get our heads around. Uh, it can be hard to reconcile how God can seemingly allow wickedness to flourish and to prosper. But we see in Acts 2.32 that it was definitely the plan of wicked men to crucify Christ. But those wicked men were acting according to God's purpose. Okay? We see this in Genesis, the story of Joseph, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Okay? Joseph's brothers meant evil against him. They, they threw him in a pit, um, originally were intending to kill him, then they had a little bit of remorse, and so they just instead sold him to uh, Ishmaelite traders. So his brothers were thinking, he's going to be a slave in Egypt for the rest of his life. Okay? They actively meant evil against him. When Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he, that's what he said. You meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Through their evil act, God saved the nation of Israel. Okay? And so we can see that no matter what happens, it is according to the plan and the foreknowledge of God. The other thing the Westminster Confession says is that everything that God does results to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, 
justice, goodness, and mercy. Okay? Um, so God is all good. God is all merciful. God is all completely just. All right? And so whatever happens in regard to marriage or whatever happens in regard to the culture, we can rest in that fact that God is just, he's holy, and he's merciful. All right? Some people have said, you know, is this God's judgment, judgment on America? I don't know. I'm not going to comment on that. But what I can tell you is that this is not God's judgment on the church. Okay? Because there is no judgment for those that are in the church. All right? The church, the wrath of God, the anger of God, that was all poured out on Christ. So if you're in the church, there is no judgment for you. There is no, there is no condemnation. All right? And so we can rest. We don't have to panic. Whatever happens. Um, another way that we can avoid panicking is uh, to remember. So over and over in, in the Old Testament, God was always telling people to remember, okay? Um, because we tend to forget. Um, and nothing has changed, right? That's why we all have calendars, uh, why we all have smartphones that have remind us where we're supposed to be. Um, and so we can remember. You know, these are crazy times. Uh, you look at the culture and you look at what's going on and you think, this is just horrible. This is terrible. And in our myopic view of things, we think, well, we're the only ones that have ever experienced something like this. Okay? In the 70s is what, this, you know, in the 70s, the thing was, well, it's got to be the end times because this, 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 and this is happening. Okay? Each generation has felt that, guys. All right? Um, the book of Acts is um, the record of a church that thrived and grew in a hostile culture. And in fact, the first century uh, was way more hostile to Christianity than today's culture is. Okay? Nobody's going to come in here and drag us out uh, to an arena where we're going to have to fight gladiators or get killed by lions. Okay? So um, we need to remember that the church has been here before. If, if the culture goes crazy and the culture hates us, uh, if we are relegated to uh, the wrong side of history, then the church has been here before. And we also need to remember that cultural prominence and cultural um, acclaim is not the default position of the church. All right? Even in this age, it's not the default position of the church. Two, three weeks ago, there were 148 people killed in Kenya just because they were Christians. Uh, today, there are believers that are meeting in secret because they're afraid that they'll be killed. Okay? We meet here openly. So even as bad as things get here in America, we don't have it as bad as some of the rest of the church. Okay? So let's not think that we do. Okay. And then finally, I just want to highlight Matthew 16, 18. It's on your sheet. Um, the only other reasons that we don't need to panic. Um, you know, this is uh, Peter saying, uh, confessing that Jesus was the Christ, and, and Jesus says that uh, you are Peter, and on this I will build, on this rock I will build my church. And I'm not going to get into the controversy over that statement. Uh, Roman Catholics think 
something different about that than we do. But what I want to say is that, you know, Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Okay, so in the ancient days, the gate was the seat of power of a city. So the gate, the seat of power of hell will not prevail against the church. Okay, so we don't need to worry about what the culture is going to do because we're already victorious and we've already been promised that uh, the gates of hell won't prevail against us. Okay, the second thing that we need to do, um, that we not need to not do, is withdraw from the culture. Um, and I will admit that sometimes that's a pretty tempting idea. Okay, you see things happening, and uh, you're just like, man, wouldn't it be great to uh, to go buy some land in Montana or somewhere where there's mountains and and uh, you could build a wall and, and put razor wire on the top of it and, and just, just wait it out. You know, wait for Jesus to come back for us. Um, you know, we have not been given that option. It's, we just can't do that. John 17 is uh, what's been called the high priestly prayer. And Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, and he prays this for his, uh, for his disciples. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Okay. Now, Jesus was fully man and fully God. And so uh, he knew what was going to happen to the church. He knew that the church was going to be persecuted. He knew by Saul. He knew that later on uh, Nero, the emperor of Rome, was going to persecute the church and was going to kill Saul, now called Paul, and kill Peter. Okay, Um, And so... Christ knew all that was going to happen to the church, and he didn't pray that the church would be taken out of it, didn't pray that the church would be uh, given safety. What he prayed was that we would be um, protected from the evil one while we're in the world. Um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's what we call the Great Commission, right? Jesus is risen from the dead, uh, and he is having breakfast with his disciples, and he tells them, go. Go into all the world. It's the, the missions verse that we use. Um, Okay, so not only do we see from Scripture that we shouldn't withdraw from the culture, but we should go to the culture. And our current cultural climate, you know, it it may be a difficult climate for evangelism, but it also presents some unique opportunities for evangelism. Okay, so as the darker the culture gets, the more we stand out as distinct, and the more people want to know well, why don't you believe that? Or why do you act that way? Or why do you live that way? And those are opportunities to uh, explain. Those are opportunities to, to share the gospel with people. Those are opportunities to, to say, well, this is why. You know, the video series that we're looking is part of that, right? To give an apologetic, to give a reason for the hope that's in us and what we believe. Um, most of us have been conditioned to, to withdraw, though, and to be 
apart from unbelievers. Uh, we all believe in evangelism, but as long as it's done at a safe distance. Um, I spent most of my adult Christian life as a Southern Baptist, and uh, I'm thankful for a lot of things from the Southern Baptist tradition, um, and because uh, a lot of growing up there. But I think the unofficial Baptist motto is, Be ye separate. Okay, because Baptists talk a lot about being separate. Don't be contaminated by the culture. Um, that is foreign to the way the New Testament talks about believers in a culture. Um, and in fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he's uh, 9 through 10, uh, 5, 9 through 10, he's writing to the church in Corinth and he's scathing them because uh, they're allowing sexual immorality in the church. And uh, Paul writes to him, he says, well, I didn't mean, when I told you not to associate with sexually immoral people, I didn't mean people outside the church. I meant people inside the church. Okay? And he says, because if you were to not associate with sexually immoral people outside the church, you'd have to leave the world. And that's clearly not what Paul intended. Okay? Um, There's tons of passages to be salt and light and city on a hill uh, if you look over and over at the New Testament, we're not called to be separate and away from... We're called to be distinct from the culture, but we're called to be distinct while we're in the culture. Okay. So we shouldn't panic, and we shouldn't withdraw. Um, what should we do? How do we respond to this? Um, well, the first thing we should be, do if same-sex marriage becomes legal is something that we should have been doing the entire time, and that's Pray. Um, you know, often we have a difficulty or we're faced with something and we'll say something like, well, all we can do is pray. Uh, like that's our last, that's a Hail Mary pass, right? Well, everything I've tried has failed and so now I'm going to pray. Um, I know we don't mean it that way, but that's the way it comes across. Um, most of us believe that prayer is important and that we should pray but we really don't pray with any fervency or we really don't pray with any uh, strong desire until our backs are against the wall, right? Or at least that's true in my life. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you're you're all prayer warriors. Um, In this situation, it turns out that the only thing we can do is actually also the best thing that we can do. Um, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, 2, 1 through 2, He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Um, So Paul says we should pray for kings, those in high places, and for all believers. We don't have a king because we rebelled and... uh, Uh, declared our independence, uh, and I'm thankful we did. But uh, we do have a president, um, and so we should be praying for our president. Uh, Those in high places, does that remind you of of anybody? Supreme Court, right? Those in high places. Uh, We should be praying for the Supreme Court at all times, but particularly we should be praying for the Supreme Court as they're making this decision. Okay? Pray that they would hear all the arguments, that they would, you know, I don't know how many Amakai briefs there are. Uh, I think there's over a hundred. 
pray that they would take all that information in and that they would make a decision that honors God. You know, pray for them by name. If you don't know who um, all the Supreme Court justices are, you can Google them. Uh, you can go to scotus.gov. There's a link on your study sheet, resources for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. They've got a thing saying pray for the Supreme Court, and it lists them there. Okay, So pray for them. Pray for um, all the lower-level judicial and legislative officials that are going to have to deal with the fallout of this decision. Okay, So if same-sex marriage becomes legal, there are tons of laws that are going to have to be rewritten, um, documents that are going to have to be redefined. Um, All that is potential for trouble for the church. So pray for those people as they interpret those things. And then we also need to pray for people that are negatively affected uh, now. Right now, none of us in this room, unless you're in a service uh, industry, you're a a wedding planner or you're a, a cake baker or something like that, are truly affected firsthand by this. But there are people that have been affected by this, okay? And one of those people is uh, Baron L. Stutzman. I don't know if you know Baron L. Study or her story. She is a 70-year-old grandmother, and she is a florist in Washington State. She had a gay client for many, many years. Uh, She considers him uh, a friend to this day. She provided flowers for him. And Washington State legalized same-sex marriage, and he wanted her to provide the flowers for his wedding. And she told him, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That violates my religious belief about what marriage is. So not only was she sued by the couple, she was sued by the Attorney General of the state of Washington. Um, I'm not sure where her case is, but I think she's lost on appeal. And so uh, she's standing to lose her business, her home, if they take all these judgments, okay? So, so pray for her. Uh, there's a photographer in New Mexico. Um, same sort of situation. She was asked by uh, a lesbian client to take pictures of a commitment ceremony. She said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Um, and because I don't believe in uh, marriage. I believe in marriage between one man and one woman. Uh, her case actually went to the New Mexico Supreme Court And the chief justice of the New Mexico Supreme Court said the price for living in a civil society is essentially violating your religious beliefs. Okay? So we need to pray for people like that. Um, There are people that have national platforms, uh, Russell Moore, Ryan Anderson, uh, people that are defending natural marriage. Uh, They go on CNN, they go on TV, they get invited to colleges. Pray for those people, too, because you can understand that the media is not, not very kind to them. Um, you know, we need to be praying for each other, okay? We need to be praying for churches that are wavering on this issue. Uh, we need to pray that we would all stand firm, that we would honor God, that we would do it in a respectful manner, uh, but that we would honor God and, and have the strength of our convictions. Yeah, and then finally... Um, we need to be praying for those that are opposed to us in this issue. You know, Matthew 5.44, Jesus said, uh, pray for those who persecute you. And uh, he even went so far to say is that you're acting 
like your father when you pray for those that persecute you, when you do good to those uh, that are trying to harm you. Because God sends his reign on the just and the unjust. Okay, we could spend tons more time talking about prayer. Um, but in the interest of time, we'll, we'll move on. Um, so along with prayer, we need to be praying for all kinds of people. We need to be praying for each other. Um, and then we need to uh, prepare for and, and fight the right battles. Okay, if this does become uh, legal, there are going to be plenty of battles to be fought. Okay, And we can't die on every hill. So we need to know which ones we can die on or should die on and which ones we shouldn't. Um, Paul gives us a little bit of a clue in a couple of passages. Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians 10. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For though we, and then in um, 2 Corinthians he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, so our battle is not with people that disagree with us. Our battle is not with um, people that want same-sex marriage. Um, our battle is against spiritual forces that are behind those people uh, that are seeking to harm the church. Um, and so what that means for us is that, um, you know, at some point, we may be forced to accept same-sex civil marriage. Okay? Now, let me be very clear. What I mean by that is that if the Supreme Court decides that there is a constitutional right to same-sex civil marriage, you just practically, what other options do we have to fight against that? And so we would be in the position of accepting that in the same way that we accept other laws that we don't agree with necessarily. Okay? Now that's not to say that if there was a law that said if you perform marriages, you must perform marriages for everybody. And that would clearly violate our conscience. And then at that point, that would be an unjust law and we would be compelled by conscience to, to disobey that law. Okay? Is that clear? I'm going to get emails on that. Uh, or Mike's going to get emails on that, right? Email Mike if you have questions. What is it, Mike Halpin? At? Okay. Okay. But, so we're not fighting against people. We're fighting against uh, philosophies and ideas. So while the church may be forced to accept same-sex civil marriage, what the church can never accept is any attempt to rewrite or reinterpret God's word. And that includes what God's word, God's word says about marriage and sexuality and gender. Okay. Um, I'm talking to all the millennials here. Where's all the millennials? Over here. Um, about a year ago, there was a book written by a young millennial named Matthew Vines. I don't know if anybody heard of the book. 
And it was called God and the Gay Christian. Okay, has anybody heard of that? No? You guys are all giving me a blank? Okay, one person. Okay, so uh, Matthew Vines, he's a fairly well-educated guy. I think he went to Harvard. Um, you know, not evil, not a, uh, a normal-looking person. Um, and wrote this book called God and the Gay Christian. And his main uh, thesis for this book was that you could hold a high view of Scripture. So in other words, you could affirm that Scripture was God's Word and that it was authoritative, and you could still affirm homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Okay, And the reason you could do this was because the church, almost since its inception, has misinterpreted the passages in the Bible that speak about homosexuality. Okay, um, He said that Paul and the other biblical writers didn't understand homosexual orientation the way that uh, we enlightened and modern people understand it, and that it is an innate characteristic. You're born with it. You can't change it. Um, there was no understanding of that in the first century when uh, the New Testament was being written. And he also said that the, when the Scripture does condemn same-sex relationships, what it's really condemning is it's condemning predatory relationships between older men and younger boys or relationships between masters and slaves. Okay, we're, we're not going to get into all the, the legion of problems with uh, Matthew Vine's book and his uh, description of Scripture. But I just want to point out a couple. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. Okay, God is the ultimate author of scripture. Right? Would you guys agree with me? God is the ultimate author of scripture. So to say that the writers of Scripture didn't know something or were wrong about something is to say that God didn't know something or God was wrong about something. Okay? You know, I don't know Matthew Vines. Um, I'm sure he's a nice person. My, my war is not with Matthew Vines. Okay? My war is with a philosophy or an idea that says that you can interpret Scripture and ascribe error to God, uh, rescribe, ascribe uh, deceit to God, Okay, that I do, we should war against. Okay, we shouldn't war against Matthew Vines, but his ideas need to be uh, just all the force the church can muster needs to be marshaled against those ideas. And one of the reasons they do is because they offer a false hope of salvation. So if, listen, let me, let me be really clear about this. Uh, homosexuality is not a super sin. It's not the only sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. Okay? Um, Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is, everybody in this room, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? But any idea or any thought that says that you can be saved apart from repentance, that's not love. That is the opposite of love. That is wicked and it's evil. And we need to call it what it is. Okay? Again, I don't know him. I'm not trying to pile on Matthew Vines. What I'm saying is, is we need to understand 
that to adopt a revisionist view of scripture like this is to tell people that they're okay to stay in their sin, they don't need to repent, they don't need to turn to Christ, and they'll suffer eternal consequences for it. Okay? Um, okay, so we're fighting a spiritual battle, not a human one. We fight with spiritual weapons. Uh, we've already talked about prayer, we've talked about scripture, um, and we sort of talked about the gospel a minute ago. Um, you know, what I want to say is that we need to be bold about preaching the gospel. Um, when, when Paul called the, the elders to him on the beach, the Ephesian elders, you know, and he said, I didn't, I didn't shirk from preaching to you the whole counsel of God. Okay? And, and we need to have that same idea. We need to preach the whole counsel of God and not shy away from it. Okay. Which is why we tell you, Mike tells you all the time, is to study your Bibles. Read your Bibles. All right? Study. Because you need to know what's in there uh, for your own sake and for the sake of people you come in contact with. All right. Almost done. Finally, we need to rejoice. Rejoice. Okay? This is a heavy topic. Uh, it's not fun to talk about. It's not fun to think about. Um, but you know what? We need to rejoice. And Christians can be some of the most sour people, right? Um, we can be joyless, and we can just be downright cranky. Uh, we need to rejoice. Is the culture going crazy? Yep, it is. Um, you know, are, are our values under siege? Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, you know, are things going to get bad for us? Probably. They probably are. Uh, but you know what? We can rejoice, not in what's going on in the culture around us, but in the one that we've put our hope in. Okay? So, uh, we have an advocate who is at the right hand of the Father, right now, this very minute, advocating for us. Okay? So every time we mess up, every time we're afraid, every time we fear, uh, you know, Christ is saying, hey, that one's mine. When, when we're accused, Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, standing at the right hand of the Father, advocating for us. If that's not reason to rejoice, then I don't know what is. Okay? So it doesn't matter what the culture does. It doesn't matter whatever else happens. As long as Christ is at the right hand of the Father, advocating for me, we can rejoice. Okay. Um, I'm going to end with this. And everybody rejoiced. Okay, um, you know, the culture's attempt to redefine marriage, it's ultimately futile. They may succeed in, in, in redefining it in a temporal sense, uh, but marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. So, you know, the tabernacle was a symbol of something that was real. Uh, the temple was a symbol for something that is real. Marriage is a symbol for something that is real. And that thing that's real is the union of Christ and his bride, who is the church. Okay? Guys, that cannot be revised. That cannot be rewritten. That cannot be... It doesn't matter what the culture does. It doesn't matter how many cultures try that. The reality of that the bride of Christ is united to the bridegroom, that can't be revised. Okay? And that's another reason to rejoice. 
Let me close with the scripture. This is uh, Revelation 19, 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So what does the church need to do? Um, What the church needs to do is the church needs to love, the church needs to serve, the church needs to teach, the church needs to uh, convict, to rebuke, um, so that when we sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we can have done everything in our power to make sure that we have taken as many people with us as possible. So let me pray. Father, we just thank you again um, for your amazing grace to us, dear God. Um, We thank you, dear God, for the privilege of uh, being ministers of reconciliation, um, for being ministers of the gospel, dear God. Uh, We just pray, Father, that uh, that, um, as we see the culture darkening, as we see things happening around us, dear God, that we would just put our faith and our hope and our trust in you, Father, that we go forth and uh, that we would be about the business uh, that you've called us to, dear God. Father, would you help us as we worship you uh, in spirit and in truth the rest of this day, dear God. Amen.